From The Cut and Gimlet Media, this is The Cut on Tuesdays. I'm your host, Molly Fisher. On this week's show, we're talking about motherhood and everything else. How does being a mom affect everything else in your life? Probably we can't completely answer that question, but we do have two honest conversations with women about what changed and what they learned when they had kids. At The Cut, we've got one main rule for how we cover parenthood, which is we make it about parents. That probably sounds obvious, but a lot of what gets filed under parenthood is actually about kids. What's good for your kids? What's bad for your kids? How your choices affect your kids? It's about whether you'll ruin your future child's chances of success and happiness if you have a glass of wine while pregnant, but not about being a person who is pregnant and wants to have a glass of wine. Both of the women we're talking to today already had full lives when they became mothers. Kids weren't necessarily something they'd structured everything else around. I never understood that urge of like, oh, I want to have a baby. But if I envisioned my future, Mm -hmm. I had a big family and I came from a big family. So the idea of not having a big family seemed really like lonely to me. And then I realized like, I don't think that I'm ever going to feel that. And Uh so if I do want to have a family, I should stop trying to like actively block it. Rania is 35 years old. She and her husband met through their parents, who were old friends, and they both came from big Arab families. Rania was 25 when they got married, and it was five years before she had their first kid, a boy who's now four. Their second, a girl, is two now. And Rania was six months pregnant with her daughter when her husband suggested, casually, that maybe they should get divorced. I think one of the biggest disservices that people tell you when you get married is that marriage is hard. Uh Uh-huh. Because then you have that playing in your head all the time, and it excuses a lot of behavior that's unacceptable. And especially, like, in my culture, there's this big emphasis on, like, keeping the things that happen in your home private. And, like, you don't want to, like, share with other people if you're having marital problems. It's one of those things. I think I did it because I didn't know better. When I found out I was pregnant with my first... um, I had not taken a lot of pregnancy tests, and so I took it fully expecting it to come out false. Mm-hmm. I think negative is negative. typically what people say. Yeah, I took it fully <laughs> expecting it to come out negative. Uh, it did not. So it's not like there's some, like, step where it's like, prepare yourself because it's about to turn positive. Oh, God. <laughs> You're just, like, waiting for it to just look like all the other ones that you took where it just shows up negative, and it's just basically a confirmation for you that you're uh-huh. not pregnant. And so I was really not expecting it to actually show up <laughs> Was there any question in your mind about what you would do at that point? Did you consider not having the kid? No, 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 no. Like, when I was younger, my friends would joke that I had, like, childbearing hips. So it was, like, this idea in my mind that, like, for me and my physical makeup, mm-hmm. no problem. Yeah. It was going to be fine. I could do this. There's like certain things that like you experience in life that you hear about, but until you actually physically experience it, you just can't comprehend. And a contraction feels like a vice grip all over your whole body, but coming from inside your body. It's just, I don't even know, like, (laughs) it's so bad. Was it scary as it was happening? That, That was the first moment where I realized like, oh, there's no option now. This baby has to come out. They have to remove him from my body yeah, at this yeah, point. Yeah. It has to come out. Evacuate. And you, yeah, and you really realize, like, you know, like, 
there are other things in life that you shouldn't walk away from, but you can if you want to. You cannot walk away from this. Once it starts, you're in it. It's out of your control. So I wasn't scared. I was in a lot of pain, but I was like, oh, there's no option now. You just have to, like, go forward. When Rania was giving birth to her son, it was way before anyone was talking about divorce. She thought her marriage was basically fine. But when she looks back now, she remembers things that seem like red flags. During the actual labor, there were moments where he was really helpful. And then there were moments where I was too concerned about him and not the other way around. Like, I actually remember when I was getting the epidural, they have you, like, hunch over and your partner's sitting in front of you and, like, holding on to you to try, like, hold you still, like... You can't move. They're sticking a needle in your back, and you got to be, like, really, really, really so In your spine. Yeah. In your spine, yeah. And they have to keep that whole back part, like, really clean. So they put, like, iodine or whatever it is that they— The betadine solution yeah, or whatever, whatever yeah. whatever the solution is. And, like, um, my hospital gown, I guess, kept, like, falling. And so he would put it back up, and, like, the person who was working on my back, I think, smacked his hand away. And, like, my ex had a temper. And so in that moment, I was more worried about him flipping out. And, like, not focusing on the needle that was going into my spine. Because he started, started like, yelling at the woman. He was holding my arms. I was squeezing his arm, like, don't do this now. And then, like, six in the morning, my midwife comes in, wakes both of us up. And she's like, I need to talk to you guys. It's time. We need to do a C-section. You know, you're numb, so you don't feel the pain. But you feel the stretching. Imagine that you have, like, a bathtub full of water, and then you take a bucket and, like, scoop a bucket full out. That's what it feels like when they actually pull the baby out. Like, just, like, you have this big mass in you, and then all of a sudden it's just, like, scooped out. Immediately heard him crying, got so relieved in that moment, and I didn't realize until that moment how much I was afraid. Uh Uh-huh. But he was just, like, beautiful and perfect, and, yeah, I fell in love. (laughs) The first week that I was home, you know, the breastfeeding makes you feel euphoric. The Percocet makes you feel euphoric. The combination makes you feel euphoric. And you're just staring at this baby. And I'd be like, why is everybody always talking about the baby blues? This feels so good. And then obviously at some point I stopped taking the Percocet. And I was like, oh. (laughs) I'm no longer on drugs. Right, right, yeah. So tell me about deciding to have your second kid. Did I decide? Yeah, well, okay, okay. <laughs> tell me about not deciding to have your second kid. No, I mean, like, it's funny, like, I got pregnant with my second, my daughter, and it was during that pregnancy that my marriage ended. Had you guys talked about having a second kid? <sighs> it's going to just make you more angry when I tell you what he said. <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Make me angry. Enrage um, me. At one point, he said to me, we should consider adopting And I thought he was trying to say it for, like, some altruistic reason. Like, you know, there are a lot of kids, obviously, that need a good home, and that's a great reason to adopt. But he said to me that I had not lost the weight from my first baby, and he was worried that if I got pregnant again, I would just never lose the weight. Oh, my God. And he said, and you and your mom have very similar bodies. (laughs) (laughs) What did you say? What do you say to that? Well, You're I just don't like, know. what the fuck? Well, were you mad at him? I didn't even know how to react to that. Yeah, you know. But did you tell other people about it? And were I they remember like... telling one of my friends a little while after that happened, and she was just shocked. That yeah, he could say that to me. Yeah, 
We should adopt because you might get fat. Yeah. <laughs> the least altruistic <laughs> rationale for adoption ever. Yeah. Around the time that I was maybe six months, six months pregnant with my second, he came to me and said, um, you know, I think we have a decision to make after the baby is born about whether we're going to stay married or not. And for me, this had come out of the blue because we were actually at a point that in our relationship that actually felt good. Like we weren't fighting. We were getting along really well. We were having fun with our son. Like, yes, he was like going out a lot, but he would tell me that he was with the guys. And so he said, like, you know, we don't need to figure this out now. We'll talk about it after the baby's born. I was like, what? What? What does that mean? He's like, you know, like, you know, we're just co-parents now. Obviously, we're like more like roommates and like, you know, maybe it'll make sense. But we don't have to decide that now you're pregnant. Like, you don't need the stress. Like, you know what I mean? It's like, but you already said it. Like, I had a job and I had a son who I didn't want to feel, have him feel like something was wrong. And I just kind of had to like, act like everything was fine and he didn't want to tell our families and I was like that's crazy and I just had to like kind of like hold it in for a while um I I like went on a trip to like visit my cousin because I was just like I need to like get away from here it was actually the first time that I left my son alone with his dad I found out much 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 later that that weekend he had his girlfriend stay at our house with our son so that tells you the kind of person I'm dealing with. Mm -hmm. On another day, he'd be like, you know, New York is so expensive. It really doesn't make sense for, for us to, like, have a kid in daycare here and to, like, pay for an expensive apartment. Maybe you should move to Texas and I'll stay here and we'll buy a house there and it's really cheap. And I was like, what? why would I do? What? None of this makes sense. <laughs> like, literally, none of this makes sense. I, there's not some other context, Molly, that I'm not giving you to the story. Like, it literally didn't make sense. My job is here. We both live here. We're married. Why would I move to a random-ass other place because the cost of living is cheaper and then maintain two households where you'll come visit us monthly? Like, what? It's a very confusing idea. Clearly, he had, an, he had somebody else. Yeah. You know, clearly. At one point, he tried to get me to, like, move into, like, a multi-unit building. This was, like, after we separated, but he was, like, still trying to work on it, and he was like... I'll get a unit and you'll get a unit. And if we get back together, great, we'll be right there. And if not, you know, the kids will be able to go easily. And I found out much, much later when I actually found out that he had been having an affair and everything that his mistress <laughs> told me that he was trying to get us to all live in this building together. Oh, God. <laughs> Without my knowledge. <laughs> you know, the next few months were really, really stressful because he was the one that initially brought up the idea of us getting divorced, but then he would try to act like he wasn't sure about it, but then would say, no, it's definitely happening, but then would say, you know, if we work things out, great. If we don't, blah, blah, blah. Like, he would talk about all these different scenarios. It was like he was just trying to keep all of the options open. What did you for want? Himself. Did you know what you wanted? I don't think it is a good use of my time to try to convince somebody that doesn't want to be there to be there. Like, even telling you this now, I'm like, you are so dumb. Like, <laughs> no, you're not. <laughs> that you put up with this. He wanted to keep it a secret. Our families are friends. And I was like, you can't divorce me in secret. I'm home alone with a two-year-old, and I'm about to have a baby, and I work full-time. I need to be able to, like, ask my mom to come help me or something. I need to be able to tell people what's going on. Flash forward to the point that I actually 
have my daughter. And he'd, he'd asked me up until then, like over and over again, like, what's the plan for the delivery? I was like, you're not going to be in the room. And he was like, you're going to want me there. And I was like, I literally would rather have a stranger off the street in there with me than to have you in there. Like my sister is coming. My mom's coming. Like, you're not going to be. <laughs> Why did he want to be there? Do you think? It's just a control thing. Like he didn't want to be told that he couldn't be there. I was at home when my water broke with my daughter, which was an interesting experience because I hadn't had that experience with my son. I remember laying down on my couch and feeling it and like jumping up because I didn't want to get my couch dirty. And I went to the bathroom and I was not expecting this feeling, but I just, in that moment, got so, so, so sad. It like hit me like I'm about to have this baby and I'm doing it by myself. Like, it was really, like, that was the first moment that it hit me when it actually, like... Yeah. Yeah. The water. The water, yeah. Um, and so I just, like, and I, and I told him, I was like, I will keep you in the loop. I will let you know when I go into labor. You can come to the hospital. You will see the baby as soon as it's born. Like, but I was leaving to go to the hospital. And then he had showed up, even though I told him not to. He came to my apartment because I told him that I was in labor and I would let him know we were at the hospital. So him and my sister and I went to the hospital and on the way out, my mom was like hugging me and saying something about like just considering like having him there or something, you know. I think at the time, like our families were still hopeful that we would like stay together. They didn't know. I mean, I didn't know at that point about the affairs or anything like that. Um, But I had this moment where I was like, I didn't feel like he immediately took to being a parent the first time. I felt like it was already hard enough to feel connected. And he saw my son being born. And I was like, I don't want him, I don't want my daughter to, I don't want her relationship with her dad to suffer because of me or because of us not being able to get along. I felt like if he was a part of the experience, it would be good for her. um, And it would help him to bond with her. And that, because he wasn't going to be living with her, Like, he lived with our son. He already had a relationship with him, but he wasn't going to be in her life in the same way. So I had him come into the the delivery. So it was him and my sister. You know, having my sister in the delivery was wonderful. My sister is a doctor. She had just finished medical school at the time. So she was like, she was like a good advocate to have there. Um, He was kind of, you know, sometimes there for contractions, sometimes on his cell phone. I was like, in the middle of a contraction, in so much pain and like seeing him on his phone. And I was just like, can you put that away? Like my sister was holding onto one side of me. He was standing on the other. She's looking at me, talking to me. And he's literally the same distance, but there's a cell phone in between us as he's like looking at it. And it's like, just get out. Why are you here? This is so distracting <laughs> to me. And I looked and I was like, can you put that away? Like, that's so annoying. I remember being in the hospital bed and just crying to the point that the nurses came in and they were like what's wrong what happened and I was just like I couldn't even like talk I was just like I mean I was tired I had been in labor for a long time I was physically drained and I was just like so overwhelmed and alone I remember like being in the room and I was alone when I first got in the room and the lights were off and it was the middle of the night and I was trying to sleep And that's when, like, the new couple came in. And they, like, throw on all the lights. And you can just hear them all talking. And you hear their baby. And I was just, like, silently crying in my bed. (laughs) It was so sad. 
Um... And the nurse came in. What did the nurse say? What did you tell her? I just, I, I couldn't even talk. I was just like, I'm fine, I'm fine. She was born a couple days before Thanksgiving. So the day we got home was Thanksgiving and my mom was there and she had like made like a little mini Thanksgiving feast. And uh, my sister was there and my cousin was visiting. I named my daughter after my mom. And she was so shocked. She was like not expecting it at all. She's like, are you serious? No, you don't have to. I was like, no, 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 I want to. And she was like, she was so excited. And it was like, it was so nice. I had like a bunch of women around me. It was actually really nice. Yeah. One day he left my place and he went over to his girlfriend's place where he was staying. And then maybe they got into a fight. I don't know. But she called me. She was like, did you know, this is vulgar, did you know that your husband's been fucking me and fucking this person and this person, fucking everybody and you? And I was just like, what? Even though I had seen so many things and confronted him about so many things and had him just like to my face lie, it was a shock, but it was also the best thing that ever happened to me because I got my sanity back. It was mm -hmm. like, no, your judgment is not off. Your instincts are not off. You are not crazy. I feel so lucky because not every woman has that, the benefit of having somebody explicitly <laughs> tell them everything that happened. Yeah. You know, I feel even more comfortable with this decision. I definitely don't think that I'm doing it alone. I'm very close to like several of my cousins and my sisters and like my brother and my sister-in-law and like people were taking turns just coming out every week to visit me, to help me. There was a never-ending supply of people coming to my house. I never felt like I was alone. It felt good. Like, when you've got a house full of women, everybody's like, just, oh, the baby needs something? Let me do it. Nobody's, uh -huh. like, passing you the baby <laughs> and saying, like, here, take care of this. Yeah. So it was really, it was nice. But, like, you know, it was hard because I was still dealing with him. And so, like, I would be, like, nursing my daughter and, like, fielding, like, angry texts. And I'm just, like, I felt like she wasn't getting my attention in a way that she deserved. My pregnancy in the very first year of her life, it was just such a blur. How has becoming a mother changed you? I feel like it makes you a lot more no-nonsense. Mm -hmm. It's like you have a, a certain amount of patience for the world, and then you have kids, and they are going to take a significant chunk of that pie, and everybody else is going to get less. <laughs> You also become way better at time management. Mm. Like, you think you don't have time until you have kids, and then you realize how much time you were wasting before. <laughs> you know, it could be motherhood, it could be all of these things together, but I definitely feel, like, more confident. I feel more empowered as a woman. I feel like I've already done a lot of really hard stuff, so bring it on, like, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Coming up, Stella Bugby has a surprise, and it is not that she's pregnant. Welcome back to The Cut on Tuesdays. Hi, Stella. Molly. Welcome to the studio, Stella. I never get to see you. No, it's very rare. <laughs> so you have something new and exciting to share with us, correct? Yes. 
We're launching a companion piece to this podcast. <laughs> I'm very impressed with us for having a spinoff when we're only like six episodes into this show. <laughs> Honestly, we could have like seven spinoffs if it were up to me, but who has the time? Yeah. Well, so what is the spinoff that we're doing? So we're doing The Cut on Tuesdays, on Thursdays. Right now, that series that we're focusing on is How I Get It Done, which is a series on the site which talks to very impressive women um, about the minutia of their day and kind of like what makes their lives possible. You'll have these really wildly different perspectives. Like, you can pick out little tips from each person. Yeah, the way they have special routines or, like, life hacks, if you will. I mean, the thing that's fun about the How I Get It Done idea in the series is that there is no one way to get it done. And so the more people you speak to about how they get it done, the more you're going to find different ways that work for you. Yeah. So what do you have for us today? We get to hear a little sample? Yeah, so our first in the series, which we're previewing today, is Anna Sale, who is the host of the amazing podcast, Death, Sex, and Money. You've probably heard it. Yes, Anna Sale is a star. Yeah, she's amazing. I was a little intimidated, in fact, to well, talk to her. it's hard to interview someone who interviews people for a living. Yeah, I'm not easily intimidated. <laughs> You're not. <laughs> no, but uh, that's how I get it done, is not being easily intimidated. Just faking yes. it. Yes, exactly. Yeah. For people who aren't familiar with Anna Sale and her show, can you talk a little bit more about what it is? So Anna will talk to people both famous and not famous about things, really uncomfortable subjects, the difficult things being death, sex, and money, Classic of course. difficult things. Yeah, but also things that we should talk about more. Yeah. Um, she talked to me specifically about her own life and how she came up with the idea for the show, how she manages her life now that she's super successful <laughs> with a baby um, and one on the way. And actually, we talked about her maternity leave and how she handled that. So I'm excited to share that with you. When I started making the show, I was divorced. I didn't know if I was ever going to be a parent. I didn't know if the relationship I was in was going to last. It was early 30s tumult of like, how on earth am I supposed to get all this arranged to build the life that I've imagined for myself when there feels like so much is out of my own control? So a lot of the momentum and curiosity that propelled the show was me just wanting to understand how people had built their lives. And also when things had turned out in ways that they didn't expect, like how they adjusted, you know, because after I got divorced, I it was not something I expected. So, like, how does someone reset after a life they thought they were building ends up not being the life that they have? So that was f almost, that was four and a half years ago. And so in the last four and a half years, I've gotten married. I've had a kid. I moved to California. And I am now pregnant with my second kid. <laughs> I am really still interested in how people talk about parenting, because I think what I've been surprised by for myself is, like, you can have these expectations of how you think you'll be as a parent. For me, I was like, what kind of mom will I be? Will I be very uh, cautious? Because in some ways, I can be very risk-averse in my own life. Will I be more sort of, like, express yourself kind of person? Will I be strict? You know, what will it all be like? And I just think getting to know my parent personality has made me more curious to hear how people articulate the ways that they think about parenting. One of the reasons I was excited to talk to Anna was because of how she managed her maternity leave. She didn't hide it. She didn't disappear. The show even brought on former guests as temporary hosts. Sometimes they'd call Anna and check in on how she was doing. It felt like an opportunity to try something new rather than an inconvenience. 
that decision that you made to make your maternity leave a big part of the show went over very well at the cut. We all discussed it. We wrote about it. I liked reminding people that, like, when a woman goes on maternity leave, she doesn't go into, like, this weird cave. <laughs> it's like, you know, I think I was just like, it felt so mysterious because women would just disappear from the workplace for, you know, several months and then they would come back. And so I think making maternity leave a visible thing is important because it both honors the work of new mothers, but also makes the argument for why maternity leave is important because it's not something that everybody can do to take an extended period of time with their new baby. What's something that you've had to sacrifice, though, completely? Exercise is a big one. It's not just like, you know, how your body changes after you have a kid, but also for me it was a huge, like running was a huge way I managed anxiety. And so losing that, it's been it's been tough because that top layer of just like, static just stays in my body. So what do you do to to get rid of it? It's still there. <laughs> it's just there <laughs> just right now. Live with it. I mean, I I think that's that's the ma- I have so many good things to say about my my time shifted working east coast hours life, but not having time to exercise in the morning unless I really sacrifice sleep has been has been a bummer. So tell me about unwinding a little bit. I know you're pregnant so you you can't exercise because your life doesn't permit it. And then you're pregnant, so you can't have a glass of wine or, you know, unwind. What are you doing? Yeah, that's been hard, this pregnancy. Uh, and I, I'm i not drinking alcohol this pregnancy. And that has been a bummer because I was pregnant all summer long this time, which I was not <laughs> the first time. And I was like, oh, gin and tonics. Like, that sucks to miss gin and tonics in the summer. I didn't really, I like sort of was like, oh, I'm not drinking, I'm not exercising, I feel kind of crappy, and I feel a lot of anxiety. Like, one of the really bad nights, I was like, I just have to get up, and I like, and I have a little office off my bedroom, and like wrote this whole list on on a dry erase board of all the things I was worried about to get it out of my head. And then I like, looked back at it the next morning, and it was like embarrassing, because it was everything from getting an oil change to like you know, our preschool strategy. Like, it was just, it was so much, so fast coming at me that I was like, oh, this isn't just, I need to make a to-do list. This is like, there's a whoosh. I need to deal with this as if it's anxiety and not like it's just living in the real world having a to-do list. Like, one of the tough things when you're having anxiety when you're pregnant is you're also, it's just hard to find things that are, you can, you can go to to take care of it. But magnesium, magnesium is something that I started taking. I have this, like, big bottle of powdered, it's like crystal light, and it's <laughs> called Calm. Do you know this? It's no. all caps. I'm going to get some, though, immediately. <laughs> and I got it at a health food store in my neighborhood. And it's just, it's it's just a nice, and it just, like, helps to, I feel like, quiet the cortisol a little bit. I don't want to ask you only about child care, because I know that happens a lot to... Uh... Moms. Once they become moms, everybody just wants to ask them about that. I feel fine about it. Because okay. I actually feel, I thought when I had my kid, like, so I had four months maternity leave with my first child. And I just remember being like, it seems insane that almost every question I have about life and how life works, I can look up on the internet and figure out how to do some like digital transaction and get something solved. And then I was like, how to find someone to take care of my kid when I go back to work. There was no place to go. 
I mean, it's like a huge financial burden. It is really high stakes because it's about the safety of your kid and how you're going to feel when you're away from your kid. It can be wonderful if it if it's a good arrangement. And if it's not a good arrangement, it ruins your life. I found that when my kids were very young, I wanted to talk about it and think about it all the time. Um, and the older they get, the less I want to think about it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a funny thing. It sort of takes over your brain when they're really little. Well, I yeah, and I also think, like, I don't know, like, I I don't want to, I don't want the show to become a a, a, a show where you feel like you're always going to hear something about, you know, parenting or whether to parent or how to parent, because there is a lot of life outside of parenting. And that's actually been really nice to get to explore. Like, one of the first episodes we really worked hard on after I got came back from maternity leave the first time was we uh, asked people about their porn habits. And so oh, I, I came love back that from maternity episode. leave. I mean, it was so, I was like, I love that I am this, like, you know, thinking about myself as this new mom, like, pumping every, you know, couple of hours. And then I'm going to the studio and, like, having to figure out how to delicately ask people about, you know, how they watch porn on their smartphones. Because... It, it made me feel like, oh, I'm still a multidimensional human. And, and that felt really good. I do think it gets easier. I'll just offer that tiny ray of hope for you. Thank you. <laughs> I do actually have a lot of questions about how your life works, given your situation with your twins, your three kids, including twins, kids, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, I, and what happens like when your kid is like when, when they go to elementary school? I'm it gets so about. much better. It, that 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 phase, there's this like really easy, wonderful phase between, I would say, kindergarten and fifth grade. It's just a uh-huh. beautiful, beautiful phase. And it's like you've won the lottery. Yeah. Because it's like, you have all this money that you don't have to spend on childcare anymore. I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, no, that that's a real, that's a, a, quite a relief. And then also, um, they're sweet. They're wonderful. But those, those are really easy. I forget what mother said it to me. I don't know when they entered kindergarten that um, that these were the one, most wonderful easy years, and you should you don't don't like take them for granted. And I really took it seriously. I didn't take that for granted at all. I'm assuming people come to you for advice. What's a piece of advice you've given recently? One thing that I <laughs> this is very specific, but uh, for, if you are a pumping mom, it took me for some reason uh, a while to to realize that. Um, you could put all of your pump parts in the fridge at work and keep them there um, instead of washing them by hand every single time. Um, like re- just remembering that breast milk is milk. So if you keep it in a fridge, um, it's not going to spoil. So just keeping your pump parts during the workday in the refrigerator cuts down on all of the washing you have to do. Well, that's that was a really one, good hack. <laughs> that was one piece of advice. Oh, I I um I was just talking to a class at UC Berkeley J School Journalism School and I was just in the hallway afterwards talking to this young woman who is just beginning her journalism career and I said to her something that I have thought about a lot and wish someone had told me earlier as a journalist which is like you know, um, if you are an ambitious, competent person, like really pay attention to the work that you're doing and having that be your guide as you make career choices. It took me a while to realize, like, I thought I had to be a certain kind of reporter to be serious or to be taken seriously. And the kinds of stories that I get to 
be curious about and tell on Death, Sex, and Money are the things that I've always cared the most about, but it took me a while to respect them as important enough as a journalist. That's it for this week's show. We'll see you next Tuesday. The Cut on Tuesdays is produced by Sarah McBee and Olivia Nett. Our senior producer is Kimmy Regler. We're edited by Stella Bugby, Nazanin Rafsanjani, and Alex Bloomberg, who is not a member of the Bling Ring, nor has he heard of it. Mixing and sound design are by Emma Munger. Our music is by Haley Shaw. Our theme song is Play It Right by Amelia Meath, Nick Sanborn, Molly Sarley, and Alexandra Souser-Monig. The Cut on Tuesdays is a production of Gimlet Media and The Cut.